Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, and freedom, and everything else in between, with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. to the Pinelander podcast. I'm Paul LeFevre. I'm here with my ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. Today is April 8th, 2022. Can you believe it? It's already April. Time's flying. Time is flying by. Uh, we've had uh, a get. We have a guest today that we've had on the air before, uh, Patrick back, O'Kelly. Back by popular demand. That's right. Uh, and we're here at an undisclosed location. He's joining us. Uh, and we're here to talk today about uh, a story that is going to make its way into another blacksmith publishing book entitled Strength and Honor, uh, Stories of 100 Green Berets from Vietnam to Afghanistan. Uh, so, Pat, how you doing, sir? Doing pretty good today. Awesome. Good to hear. Crazy weather in Pineland, man. I woke up this morning. I walk oh, outside. Shit. I walk outside. I'm like, what the hell? It's like, it was freezing. And of course, hey, I, I got I got brand new chicks that I'm raising, and I just yeah. put them out to the coop. They're under a heat lamp. Yeah, I, I put them out to the coop. It's like freezing. And it's, it's supposed like, to be like almost like 85 hell? or 90 tomorrow or something. It's like it's it's yeah, insane. I, I got a big wire going all the way out to my coop. So I had to set the heat lamp up again. It's like, yeah. damn, man. That's just that's that crazy pine land that's weather, that man. Pine land weather, yeah. Absolutely. No kidding, man. So, uh, Pat, we uh, I'm excited to talk about. Uh, really just a, a launching off platform of the story you have, uh, which is from NTC. I believe you're on ODA 584 at the time, B Company, 3rd Battalion, 5th Special Forces Group. Uh, and you were, uh, I think, uh, a year after you got back from Desert Storm. Is that right? Right. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. And then, uh, then you guys go out to 29 Palms, the stage, and then you go and do NTC. And uh, while you're doing it, it, it seems like they're, the, the command is just trying to kill you. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, said, I felt like I was in a born agenda novel where every, everybody in the command was trying to wipe us out. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic story. Uh, you also have some cameos uh, from yeah. Captain Sontag at the time. Yeah. Uh, you've got a uh, now, I believe, Major General Patrick... Uh, Higgins, uh, who was a major Higgins at the time, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. So you got some, you got some big names uh, in this uh, story, and then of course yourself and all your exploits. But um, right. I don't know how you want to start this off. Do you want to just, you want to go right into it, into your story? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. Go right into it. But first off, let's let's do like a, a flashback. Yeah. All right. This this is like, this is a time period. Every unit will go through this, and SF will go through it now is after a war, because I've been through more than one war, but after a war, all of a sudden everybody said, okay, I'm done, because you, you've seen the elephant. You, it's time to go. And so a bunch of people just calling off and leave. So what this was, this was actually, we didn't know it at the time. Well, we kind of had a clue. 
This was actually the last mission of 584. After that, we were disbanded and spread out across 5th Group. And I I knew 584 was formed, but everybody there just went their own way because we'd all – now, this wasn't my team I went to Desert Storm with, but uh, it was – because that was another thing. When we came back from Desert Storm, we kind of did a first-generation disbanding and reformed the teams. And so this was my – one year later. And uh, this one also was like, all right, everybody's focusing on how to kill tanks because we just went through Desert Storm, and that was the big thing. Yeah. So how does Special Forces fit into killing tanks? Well, our job is you know, get intelligence and you know, look behind lines. You know, do the, the SR aspect, the Special Recon aspect, a little bit less than the, uh, the FID aspects. So it didn't really go into UW. went right into to SR because during Desert Storm, the really successful teams, I mean, those teams behind lines that saw a hellacious amount of action, but it was all that SR. And so it was like, okay, we're going to go to NTC. And I'm, I'm trying to remember what was the unit that was there. It was, uh, I, I wrote about it, man, I can't remember now. It was like 3rd Infantry or something like that, but it was, yeah. it was one of the infantry units, the divisions. Right. And so to, to, before we ever got there, we decided we needed no information because we don't, you know, even though we're SF, we're not armor, so we need information. Yeah, 24th so what we, 24th Mech, there yeah. you go. So what we did was we were able to go to NTC like about, I want to say like three months before the mission, and become guest OCs. And we rode along with the OCs and got to learn the terrain and, and learn all the stuff. And, it was, and it's actually kind of cool. Hanging out with the OCs at NTC was probably the closest to – an SF team I ever saw in the regular army because it's mainly all NCOs and all they do is they work in real small groups and they go out and they live in the desert. They have their own vehicle and they, and each night they'd come back together and they'd have a cookout. And it was like a, a meat fest, you know, chicken ribs, whatever, but it was in the desert and you're, you're just making a fire. And so it was probably the closest thing to an SF team I ever saw in the regular army. It was just the camaraderie it was kind of cool. Anyway, we're with these guys, and we're learning all the tricks. And we're also learning, you know, where should we go? What's the best place to, to, to take out the, the, uh, the fake Soviet, uh, you know, armor brigade? Right, the Op 4. Now, the Op 4, yeah. the Op 4 in NTC is fantastic. I mean, you got to figure, they know the terrain, they live by they know everything about it. Another thing they're really good at is because it's all fake war, it's all miles, these guys are experts on the mile system, the laser mm-hmm. system. And uh, so they, they they had their weapons zeroed down and, and perfected. So we're trying, how did we beat these guys? Well, when we went into isolation, you know, I got with Camp at Sontag with the information I had. And we, 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 we also had a brand new technology. But nowadays, it's nothing. But at that time, it was like state-of-the-art brand new. And it was you could take a computer and you could figure out on the terrain, what could you see on the ground? And nowadays, you know, we could do that on our cell phone. But back then, it was just amazing that we could get a map on the computer and see terrain, what you could see and what you couldn't see, what's the best position for, for your hide site, what's your best position for your, your OPs. And so we were using this new technology. The other thing that was brand new technology is our isolation happened at 29 Palms. We all went there, and each of the teams had to come up with a plan. And whoever had you know, the best plans got to go in first and second and stuff like that. Well, while we were there, they set up drones. That's the first time we ever saw drones. 
And so this guy was flying drones around the camp and flying drones around the area. We thought that was the coolest thing ever. So you had brand new, basically brand new thing like a GPS, a brand new thing like drones. And this is 1990, I want to say 1993 or 92 or 93, but it's, it's, it's that time frame. But for yeah. us, it was state of the art. I mean, we had never seen stuff like this before. Now, the plan I came up with, there's one giant big ass mountain in the middle of NTC. Anybody who's ever been to NTC knows the mountain because <laughs> it's the biggest one there. Tiefert. Tiefert Mountain. Yeah. And I said, let's go there. Nobody would ever attack us there because first off, you got to climb a damn mountain. Who's ever going to get us? And we can see everything. At the time, we had a company commander and he, holy cow, this the story I wrote for you guys, it should be, a, the, the subtitle should be how to try to be successful in a uh, toxic <laughs> toxic command structure. That's right. The toxic leadership. Yep. Oh my God. The commander we had, he didn't trust the team. He didn't trust anybody. He's always micromanaging. And he went out of his way just to really screw people over. And I wrote about, like, one guy, he was in Somalia. Now, this is right around the time Black Hawk Down happened. So he's in Somalia, and he's supposed to come back home. He's going to go to flight training. He's going to be a pilot in the helicopters. And the, the commander of the company, he turns it down. And not only does he turn it down, he tells that guy, calls that guy's wife and told his wife, Oh, he voluntarily extended in Somalia. His wife was pissed because he was supposed to be coming home. Turns out none of that was true. You got to be kidding me. Oh, yeah. That is insane. Oh, yeah. We went to the the group, Sergeant Major, about, you know, doing something about this commander. Uh, Captain Sontag, which, you know, he's kind of famous. Everybody's got an opinion of Captain Sontag, if you know about him. But at the time, as a team leader, he was an excellent team leader, mm. and he he was basically saying that he was going to get out of special forces because of this commander. He was going to resign and go mm. somewhere else. Wow! And yeah. and that was another reason why I said that this was the last mission of our team. Yeah. Part of it was the toxic command structure. It was so bad everybody wanted to go anywhere else to get away from it. Now, anyway, back to back to the story. So we're we're in this place and we're given the briefing of, of what we think is best and we said we're going to go to Tifa well our commander the toxic guy he's like you can't get up there you won't be able to see anything I said we'll be able to see something we'll, we'll, we'll get you know a higher speed optics and we'll be able to see everything and he said well you won't be able to see it at night I said yeah we will. we'll we'll rig something out we can prove so I had to prove to him that we can see at night and we'll be able to see and identify vehicles and movement and stuff like that he still didn't believe us but he approved it. Now, the inserting to this place, holy cow, we went in with the CH-46s. And uh, it was no, originally we were going to have vehicles. And we experimented trying to put a Humvee on a CH-46. And we actually got one on there, but you had to fold in the mirrors. You had to take the guns off. And everything was so tight. There's no way you could do it. You, you, in fact, you couldn't even get in and out. The only way you could get in and out of the vehicle to start it and get it off the chopper was crawl across the back and go through the hole in the turret. And uh, it's the only way. So we decided we're not going to use the vehicles. We're just going to go straight up foot. Now, that wasn't true for all the teams. Some teams had vehicles. Some teams, you know, all the, each team had their own plan. Now, our plan was the only team for see what was going down. Well, when the chopper flew us, they flew us right over a, a tank battle. It was kind of cool. The major tank battle, we're like right, like, 
I swear to God, 10 feet off the earth, zooming across, heading to this mountain. When he gets to the mountain, it's a little, it's like Papa Wheelie, goes straight up the mountain. It was like, holy shit. It was the ride from hell. But these were Task Force 160 pilots. You know, they're pretty good guys. Get to the top of the mountain, and there's a saddle. The chopper can't land on the saddle because it's so small. So all he did was back up, put both rear wheels on it, and we unloaded everything out of the back while the front was hovering in the air. There's kind of a famous picture from Afghanistan of a helicopter doing that. And uh, I, I swear to God, I always thought we were the first to come up with that idea. But anyway, we did it. So we hovered, unloaded. We had a cache with a, a couple can, water cans and uh, and a bunch of batteries. And so we cached them right there. And then once the chopper moved out, we moved to our, our position, which was a little bit further up the mountain. Now. Something else we did right before this, we experimented. This is kind of an experiment with a lot of different techniques that we had never done before. All of us had been in Desert Storm. And all of us, when we were on the, our vehicles were just so loaded with ammunition. It was, it was insane. I mean, the Humvee, the wheels actually, um, our Humvee in Desert Storm was, it bowed outwards because of the weight of all the ammo. It was just insane. And these weren't up-armored Humvees. In fact, they're, our vehicles are called Dumbies because it was special made for the desert. Desert Mobility Vehicle, DMV, Dumbie. And uh, so our Dumbies had so much ammo. So we decided, all right, let's do some research. And me and Captain Sontag and, and another guy on the team, uh, we, we all basically tried to look at historically what really happened. And we looked at a book by S.L.A. Marshall. And some people may know who he is, Slam but if Marshall. you don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. SLA Marsh was the guy who was the uh, uh, he's one of the head muckety mucks of the American Army in World War II. Right, uh, and Men so he wrote Fire. I think he wrote that. Yeah, and and yeah. the book we read from his is is about it was called A Soldier's Load. Uh, I highly recommend anybody re get it. It's a very small book. You could probably read it in an hour. It's mm -hmm. that's how small it is, and it's a book about what soldiers carried through history and what was the problem with that because many times through history a commander would tell a soldier to carry something for no reason just because he might need it like marshall described in uh, the prussian army how he had all the men carry a big ass axe why just in case they have to smash in a door i think yeah. about that everybody came around a big ass axe for no reason except someday <laughs> the door might appear and so it's like why are we carrying this big ass axe so marshall said your typical firefight, you would, the soldier never ran out of his basic load. In fact, he only shot like maybe a quarter of his basic load before he was able to get more ammo. Now, that's not true. There are some extreme situations where you ran out, but it's so rare. Mm. Normally, you won't run out of ammo. And we all thought about it. Desert Storm, we, we, yeah, we did some firefights and things like that. And he's right. We never ran out of ammo. We always had too much ammo. So we decided to trim down our load below basic load we we basically went in with four magazines and that's it because we said we're going to experiment with just going with four magazines because we're only supposed to be recon and we should be able to get out if you're doing well-aimed shots and hitting the enemy four magazines might be enough to pull it off and so it was an experiment it was like we we're just trying to figure out what works and what doesn't so we, when we went up there we had so much weight but we tailored a lot of it down 
by just going in with the four magazines, and that way we just had food, water, and batteries, and of course, the optics. Now, when we moved in, it was night, so we got to the top of Tiefert, set up, and we're looking across the valley, and when the sun come up, we were able to see everything. It was amazing. You could see every part of Fort Irwin. You could see every mite little thing. It was almost like, you know, you're so high up, it almost looked like a, a, a bunch of kids' toys down there. I mean, it was kind of cool. But you could identify everything. But the other one was, remember, the commander, the, the, the toxic commander, he said it would probably wouldn't be able to see at night. What we did was we rigged up. I figured out a way to basically, I ended up duct taping a PVS-7 to a high-speed telescope like you look at stars with. Yeah. And so I used that, and it worked. We were able to identify everything from a long distance. So we had night vision, super duper night vision scope. We just made it up out of thin air. Um, now, first attack happens, and it's awesome. We're we're able to see everything. We're able to see the enemy come in and everything else. And unfortunately, there was a delay. It wasn't due to us, but for some reason, when we talked back to the headquarters, there was a huge delay from the headquarters getting the information down to the regular army. So even though we could see regular army was you know about to get surrounded and slaughtered, we warned them and we saw it all coming. But then they still got slaughtered. Hmm. Well, they they were. This was also mirror. It's an experiment for everybody. That's why it's training. You make mistakes in training, so you don't make mistakes in war. So by the yeah. time the second attack happened, they had all the the, the 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 combo figured out. So then we were able to do almost real time communication, and so we were able to tell everybody where everybody was, and they ended up wiping out. The, the the op four and this is rare the op four doesn't get wiped out yeah exactly and, it, and it's like what what the hell now the guy Home there's a standing rule yeah well, there's a rule at NTC that if you cheat you will end up with a general court martial if you're you know, it's, it's that big of a deal you don't cheat yeah. and so you know, officers can end up with a general order uh, reprimand in their files it's a it's a career killer you yeah. don't cheat. Well, the guy who's the commander of the Op 4 thinks there's cheating going on because there's no way that they're wiping out everybody. Uh, something wrong. So I, I don't know if they still have it now, but back then they had something called the Star Wars building. Mm. And, that, and you go inside, it was this giant computer map where you could see every unit that was in NTC and where they were. Because yeah. another new thing we experimented with, mainly because of Desert Storm, was we all carried these little transponders where you could actually see where everybody was. Now today it's common, but back then it was really, it was just super cool. So they're able to see everything. Well, nobody, no commander is allowed to look at the, the Star Wars board because it's cheating. You can see where all the units are. Right. Well, the guy who's the Op 4 commander demands to see the board because he can't believe there's not cheating going on. How can these guys know where all his people are? It's impossible. Well, they light up and he sees all the special forces guys and his comment was basically holy shit i'm fucked how did that happen <laughs> and what it is is we had elements like us in the mountains we had guys in there with the the op four because our vehicles were tan their vehicles were tan mm. well some teams when they sent those guys out early to be oc they, they took pictures of all the uniforms and everything and so they got the same uniforms and so they're literally driving around in the convoys with the Op 4, acting like Op 4. Awesome. And they're radioing what's happening. Those crafty so, Green Berets. Oh, yeah. We, we were every aspect. 
we had covered. There's no way they couldn't move without us seeing them. So we were extremely successful, and it was awesome. And I think that was our undoing. Because yeah. now it's like, okay, these guys are really good at what they're doing. Now they must die. <laughs> <sighs> and so here's where the born agenda comes in. All right, we're doing great. And it's uh, almost sunset. And then we get an order. Oh, you have to move two clicks to the south, to this other area. Now, two clicks to the south is like four mountains away. Yeah. And, and, it, and we have to be there by like five in the morning. And it was like you know, six o'clock at night. And it's like, holy shit. And so, by the way, we left that cache up there. I'd still imagine there's this cache <laughs> of batteries, water, and food still on top of Tifa. Hey, Pat, you, uh, had, you had rucksacks that were, uh, you know, exceeding, what, 70, oh, 80, yeah. 90 pounds? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even though we went with SLA Marshall's rule of four magazines, the yeah. rucksacks were, my rucksack, I think I, I mine was 80 pounds. And that yeah. was all the batteries, and it was mainly batteries and food And that was as light water. as you can get. Oh, yeah. yeah and that's, that was... that's one of the reasons we tailored down all the ammo. Wow. And so we are, like, extremely light yeah, at that's... 80 pounds. Streamlined ruck. Now, <laughs> yeah, you're still, you're still heavy as hell. We start doing this. <laughs> yeah, we do a mountain up. movement. This mountain movement, I, I swear to God, it's legendary. In fact, uh, to this day, I'm, I'm doing drugs for my back and I got disability. I think it's for this yeah, fucking mountain. I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> I'm, I, it, it, it may sound like I'm bragging, but no, that I really no was. Joke, man. I, oh, I no, I'm talking about. Too. No joke. Well, no, what I'm about to what I'm about to tell you it may sound like I'm bragging, but it's, okay. it's a, anybody who knows me knows this is true. Throughout my military career, I was almost always the point man, and I was able to track. And I, I remember one story when I was on the Rangers, where we were in the middle of the night in fucking Honduras. I mean, it was like dark as shit, and our our units had gotten separated, and we're trying to figure out on a trail which way they went. And I got down on the trail and I felt the mud and I was feeling the ridges to figure out which one was a jungle boot. And I figured it out. And I said, they went this trail. And everybody's like, how the fuck did he do that? I thought I had mystical powers, right? But I, I was able to track mainly because of my, my earlier beginnings with, with being raised up and you know, hunting and with my dad, who's special forces, things like that. So I just learned how to track. And I also, uh, I met an old guy one time who was a tracker and he gave me some tips. So I was always the point man. So I'm the point man coming down off this mountain. Now, trying to come off this mountain, trying to find a way down this mountain where we won't all fall to our deaths because there was literally cliffs coming straight freaking down. And what is, is I'm coming down, it's dark. Not everybody has nods. This was the time period where about the only, there was like two nods per team. And you know, like maybe the team leader and the point man had a nod. And that was it. So we're moving. Everybody's got no nods. It's dark as sin. And the first cliff I fell off of, when I went over, I fell about 15 feet. Every cliff I fell down, as I fell, the thing that went through my head was like, this is going to fucking suck. And then I usually did like a, a half spin in the air and landed on my back. And I, I started trying to figure out a way to do it because I fell off the cliff so many times. I was trying to think, of what's the best way to fall off a cliff and not die? Now, that's, I'm planning how to fall to my death so I don't die. But anyway, whoa, boo, hit the ground. I'm, I'm on the ground going, there's a cliff here. Go around. And so they would listen to me falling off of cliffs because I'm the point man <laughs> and figure out which way to go. 
that didn't work all the time because they fell off a few cliffs. So everybody's falling, banging on the rocks, getting fucked up. And got down the bottom. At one point, I was hurting so bad. I don't think I included this in the story. But at one point, I was hurting so bad. I didn't want to stop because if I stopped, the pain set in. I had to keep yeah. moving. So we would move, and then it was the accordion effect. And so the rear would catch up, and then you'd move, and the rear would catch up. And there's only like eight of us. And so, but it was a long spread out. We couldn't lose anybody. Well, at one point, I didn't want to stop because if I stopped, I would be in so much pain. I don't think I could go on. So I just kept stumbling. I said, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to find more cliffs. I'm going to find the way out of here. Just follow me. And, and so I just kept going, a, a slow little shuffle. And, and at one point, I got way, way ahead of him. And I finally stopped when it was flat ground. I think I reached the bottom of the, of the final mountain. And eventually, the team caught up to me. And Captain Sontag was pissed. He's like, don't ever do that again. We didn't know where you were. I said, yeah, but I knew where you were. If you went off, I could find you. <laughs> but, yeah, I was just – we were hurting so bad, I didn't want to stop because I thought I had broken something. And I probably did something to my – back but who the hell knows i'm feeling it now much years later <laughs> well you know for anybody listening um you know you can you can google you know mount tefert and that is some seriously rugged terrain i mean it's it's oh, not it's holy shit yeah it i was mean awesome. if you look at the pictures you can get an idea i mean this is like some really nasty rocky kind of um uh, big mountain i mean it's, it's a huge mountain out in the middle of nowhere oh and it, it's that that shale fragment rock like comes from a volcano that you crumbles and you fall easy. That's right. That crap. You know, it's not even good rock. Now, we finally get to our next objective. And the objective was basically they want, oh, the, the first time they wouldn't tell us what the objective was until we got to the site. Once we got there, we hit the radio and then they told us what to do. It's like, oh, we want you to see if there's a minefield there. What the? Holy cow, we could have told you that from the top of Tiefer. We didn't have to go to the bottom of Tiefer. But it was, I think they were trying to get us caught because nearby was an enemy, like a battalion. you know. And so they're trying to get us caught. Now, another thing we experiment with this time was camouflage and trying to get camouflage that matches the terrain. And so we had individual, like little mini camo nets that we rolled up on the back of our rucksacks and they were painted perfectly for the terrain. And so even though it's flat, there's no mountain now. It's down the valley. It's flat. There's nowhere to hide. All we did was just lay there on the ground and covered up with these mini camo nets. And nobody saw us. And it was amazing. In fact, we had choppers flying around because they knew we were there. Because I'm telling you, they tried to kill us. And they were hovering, trying to find us. At one point, they hovered so close that the edge of the camo net was flipping up. And I was hoping, God, they don't see that. That's how close they were. And they never found us. And so we were hidden pretty good. Now, one of the mistakes. And I wrote about this, you know, because shit happens. As they were falling down the mountain, all of us hurting like crazy and falling down the mountain. At one point, Captain Sontag, his pocket ripped totally off, and he didn't know it. And it's it's his pants pocket. And it, inside that cargo pocket was something called a one-time pad. I don't know if they even use one-time pads anymore, because nowadays everything's digital and computerized. But back then, to send... Uh, encrypted messages you had a one-time pad and it had all these letters on it and you wrote your messages and then after you used that one paper you'd burn it and then the next one isn't synced. as long as you were synced up with the rear and they knew what page you were on you could talk back and forth captain sontag lost his one-time pad which again that's like a, a letter reprimand that no officer ever wants so he didn't want anybody to know about it. he says 
Let's go. So he took uh, off with uh, another guy. He, he put me in charge and said, you stay here, keep an eye out. I got to go find the one time pad. So basically he had to do that whole movement that we did the night before again, trying to find uh, the one time pad. And he, he did find it. He found it. So that's cool. And got back with it. So that was awesome. Yeah, that, now, even, even that's miraculous. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The fact we could find it. Yeah. Now, we, we're sitting there, and we're watching to see what they said about minefield. Well, as they're doing this, they do an attack, and they go through this one little valley, and we see all of it. And we're able to call it. And here's another cool thing. When we called in what they were doing in the valley, the 82nd Airborne was on standby. And after we called in that they come through the valley, the 24th Division was on the other side, like Thermopylae. They were able to massacre him. But the 82nd Airborne did a jump behind him and was fucking up their entire rear. And it was like, holy crap, we did that. I did that. That's awesome. <laughs> so us calling in this attack that they thought they were being sneaky by going through a valley. They weren't sneaky. We saw them, and it just, just it was a chaos. It was pretty cool. Now, at night, we get another mission. Now we have to move nine kilometers, but it's on the flat ground. Mm but it's also right through all of the enemy units. And we have to move to basically get picked up. And we have to meet a helicopter there. And if we don't get there at a certain time, I think the time was like maybe, maybe, uh, I, I want to say it was like eight hours. And it was night moving. If you didn't get there at that time, uh, you, you wouldn't be picked up. Wow. So we start moving. Now, when we get to where they say the helicopter is supposed to be, there is one of those enemy units, a, a, a armored freaking company parked right there. I was like, damn, somebody's trying to get us killed. That's when we dawned on us. Somebody's trying to get us killed. Somebody's trying to wipe us out. So now we're like, we're not going to go there. We can't. There's an army. This is, oh, try, try to signal a helicopter anyway. So like, what are you fucking insane? So we got slick. It's like, okay, let's defeat our own chain of command and try to figure <laughs> out how to get out of here. Well, the first there thing we go. did was, well, helicopters, we, we knew who, who the helicopters were, the good guys and the bad guys. And so with CH-46 flying over, we tried to signal it with an IR strobe light, trying to get its attention. And it probably didn't know what we were or, or it was just not going to land because obviously there's enemy armor everywhere. Well, then we knew that there was another team that had the vehicles. The Dumbies was nearby. And we knew in a general area where they were, but we also knew their radio, their, their frequency. So we had worked out ahead of time before we ever went in how to talk to each other in case everything goes to shit. So we actually planned in case everything goes to shit, and we kind of did it behind the chain of command's back because in case they fucked everything up, we had a way out. So we knew the, the frequency for the V unit. We called them up and said, dude, could we come and get us and take us to the new extraction site? And so basically, it's like calling Uber. We, we Ubered the dumb V teams. They sent over, you know, two vehicles, come by, picked us up, drove us to the new area where a helicopter could come and get us, and we we're able to get a helicopter in there and get out. But the entire mission was, I think, it was four days long, and it was probably one of the most strenuous missions I ever did. And holy cow, I'm still feeling the pain to this day. Literally, I'm feeling the pain to this day. But it was awesome. Really cool because it was like trying to put us on edge. How can we think way outside the box and come up with methods to basically get in and get out successfully without all being slaughtered? And we were able to pull it off, so that was pretty cool. 
Yeah, I don't think it's. Um, I mean, I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know. I mean, SF goes out to Fort Irwin. Um, you know, they probably do a lot more now than maybe they used to. But uh, that 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 was some fantastic terrain out there for Afghanistan prep. Yeah. Oh yeah, I could see that. You know, it, the, the the mission I did after this, um, that was right around Thanksgiving, and uh, there was a team. I, at that time, we had something called a mountain team. I don't know if they have mountain teams or not. In fact, one of the legendary guys, a guy called Walt Guerin, he was the team sergeant of the mountain team. And they were about to do a mission into Pakistan to climb uh, a Himalayan mountain. It was a multinational expedition. It was going to be French, Italian, American, and Pakistani. And you know they needed a few more guys. And so while I was in NTC, I volunteered go with Walt Guerin and his team. I think they were five, eight, three. And, uh, but they were the mountain team. And so after experiencing the, the mountain climb, he was like, Oh, that's ought to be easy. I can do this one. That's a whole, I tell you that, that mission into Pakistan was a whole, whole other, uh, interesting time because we were, our official mission is we're doing a multinational force expedition. And, Half of the team went and climbed the number, I think it's the number four tallest mountain in the world. It's a, a mountain called Broad Peak. It mm. sits right beside K2. Wow. And so they were climbing that. And then the other half of the team, we went through the high altitude mountaineering warfare course. And it, it basically, Pakistan teaches their people how to fight in the Himalayas against India because they do these battles in the Himalayas. So there's, a, there's actually a high altitude mountain warfare course. So we went through that course. Now, that was the official thing. Officially, you're going to go climb a mountain near K2 and go through this course. Unofficially, we were basically sent in because we were all Arabic speakers. We're going to Pakistan. We don't speak Urdu. We don't speak Pushtu. We speak Arabic. Our job was, as we go into Pakistan, if you hear anybody speaking Arabic, basically remember where they were and let us know. Because we're trying to find this this new guy, this new guy that just popped up. He blew up, I think, one building at that time. And this yeah. new guy that just popped up was a guy called Osama bin Laden. Yep. And so, our our what if, I think the real mission was us to find intel in mm-hmm. Pakistan. But we were doing it by doing a cover mission of climbing mountains. So it was kind of cool climbing mountains, but also going around, you know, hanging out in the bazaar, walking around because we're all in civilian clothes. We're, we're like a bunch of mountain climbers. And as you know, just keeping an ear out to hear any type of Arabic and see if we can hone in on anybody speaking Arabic. You know? And your your team was a uh, a mountain team, or was it just a just a rucksack? Team? Uh, our, well, the team that he team, was with. Okay, yeah, yeah five eight three. The, the team I went to Pakistan with was a mountain team. Gotcha. The team that I we did the NTC mission with, right. we were the SOT team. Okay, we were the door kickers. Yeah, and but so we we didn't have vehicles. Oh, actually, I take it back. At that time, every team had vehicles because after the desert storm, uh, the, the 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 budget opened up wide, and everybody got vehicles and hey. motorcycles and stuff like that. Hey, so uh, Pat, I had a uh, couple of things I was thinking about when you're giving us your story, which is awesome, by the way. And uh, your your chain of command was out to get you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it seemed like they're going to try to kill you with the. Oh, yeah. uh, hey, just. Total uh, kilometers that you moved under those rucksacks. I mean, did you do you have like a figure of how far that was? Oh, I know. 
okay, we got inserted, and then moving across the mountains. Now, you got to figure, it's not the distance. It's the height, the yeah. up and down, up and down. I want to say that was about four. And then we sat still on this flat like plateau, hiding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, we were on that flat plateau for just like until dark. And then we had to move to the, the second part, which I think it was like nine kilometers across flat ground with those 80-pound goddamn rucksacks trying to infiltrate through an enemy armor units. You know, yeah. and, and lucky for us, they had shitty freaking sentries or else they, I don't know, they didn't pay attention or who knows. They probably weren't used to people walking around who were enemy because normally the people that they go against are armored vehicles on the other side. So yeah. SF, it was all brand new to them. They weren't used to having special forces infiltrating their lives. Hey, so that probably are now. Well, yeah. my, my question was like, okay, so, you know, you're on T-Vert and the next thing you know, it's over there in Pakistan. Um, how, how similar was the terrain? Oh, Pakistan. I always joked about Afghanistan. It's like, I got to see it from the other side. Pakistan, where we were, I swear, it reminded me of being in the Swiss Alps, of Mm. being around bad tolts. It looked just like that. It was incredibly beautiful country. It was Mm. amazing. Now, when you, when you got that, that's like the foothills, uh, the foothills of, of Himalayas, you have a big ass mountain called, uh, uh, but Man, I'm gonna get it wrong here. I want to say Pandi Devi, something Devi. Heck, man, I'm gonna look it up real quick. Pakistan, Mountain of Death. Mountain of Death. Uh, what's it called? You gotta love modern technology. Oh, there you go, Nanga Parbat. Nanga Parbat. So Nanga Parbat's like the foothill. That's actually the name of it, Mountain of Death. Um, wow. Even though more people died on K2 than Nanga Parbat. But anyway, if if you actually Google Nanga Parbat just right now, if you Wikipedia Nanga, Nanga Parbat, it looks like either Montana or Switzerland. Mm. I mean, now, that's the foothills. Once you got into the actual Himalaya part, because we, we were right where the Himalaya and the Hindu Kush meet. It was like right there, and the Chinese border was, in fact, we got lost at one point, ended up in China by accident. And, uh, but we, uh, it was right there. So when you got to that, it was like you're on the surface of the moon. Everything mm. is so bizarre. It's all gray and that's it man there's just one color gray and, and sky and it was just a different world because there's nothing living there it's all rock but again it's, it's the himalayas yeah, yeah that the, the story about the chinese was kind of cool because our we, we're going through this high altitude mountain warfare course well the the pakistani guys are, well, let's go down there this way because that place down there has got good tea sure mm-hmm. well, we get down there and we're looking at the signs and there's a border sign there, and we look at one side, we look at the other side, and shit, dude, we're in China. It's like, really? Yeah, I think we're in fucking China. Are you, are you sure? Yeah, I think this is fucking Chinese. And so we ended up in China, and sure enough, the Chinese border guards uh, were there. Are you, are you, and they were trying you're, to figure You're at altitude, aren't you? I mean, are you at pretty high altitude here? Oh, yeah. This was, well, you have to figure the mountain that we climbed was not the big one. The, the mountain we climbed for, like, the graduation for the high Mount Warfare course was uh, uh, 20,100 feet. It was on Kukshake Mountain. And that's not considered a big one. So 20,000 feet, that was a little one. Yeah, but you're feeling that when you're breathing, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, we were all trained into a high altitude, you know, the, the heart, the high altitude resuscitation thing and all that. In fact, the guys who climbed the big one, Broad Peak, there's got to figure the, the top 
there's mountains that are called the 8K mountains. They're over eight kilometers tall. And so there's only a few of them in the world. But Broad Peak was one of them. When the guys did the main mission, one of them came down with that high altitude sickness that he couldn't complete the mission. They actually had to end the mission early because they were fucked up. So, yeah, yeah, this is where you – the whole goal of climbing these mountains is to get up and down before it gets you. Yeah. Uh, in the old days, they used to take oxygen, but and then they realized as long as you can get up and down in a certain amount of time, and it, you know, your your spinal column won't screw into your asshole or however it works. So they got, so they got Border <laughs> Patrol yeah. folks working even at these altitudes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. the, the Chinese border guys were kind of cool because they – you know, they, eventually they figured out, all right, these big fucking muscular guys are not Pakistani. They think <laughs> they're Americans. <laughs> well, I, 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 they basically escorted us out of the country. And, uh, you know, because we're like, okay, guys, and we got, in fact, I got a, a picture of two of them. And well, there you these go. little teeny weeny Chinese guys. And I swear that was the best shape I was ever in. I looked awesome. And so it was like these little teeny weeny Chinese guys, this big fucking American in between them. And, I actually, one of them said, do you have any American money? It's like, why? So I, I, I don't have American money. Can you give me American money? And I thought, you, what, you want me to give like 50 bucks? Said, oh, no, you have like a coin or something. Well, fuck, I might back. Yeah, you just want a souvenir. So, yeah. Well, when I got back to the camp, the camp was like, I don't know, you know, four or five kilometers away. And I got back to camp, the, the base camp. I rummaged through all my shit. I found like a, like 25 cents in nickels and dimes. And I walked back to the Chinese border and found that Chinese border guard and handed him change just to, just to help him out. Cause you never know, you might need the, the border guard on your side. If shit went to bad, so trying to make friends, you know, That's always got to make friends. That's it. Hey, uh, Pat, I was always thinking about this, uh, from the story, uh, about three different, uh, points were kind of come up in my brain. And uh, I think one one big takeaway I have from this is uh, you were thinking outside of the box. So, oh, way I mean, outside you're, the box. You're in you're an NTC. You're in the box, and you guys uh, you, know, you applied your experience, uh, you knew doctrine, you knew tactics, and then you were thinking outside of the box. And that's uh, I think you know they weren't the op four really weren't ready for that. And I think no. that's that's kind of a. Um, I mean, it's kind of how we roll in soft is, uh, yeah. you know, knowing what the box looks like and be able to think outside of it. Uh, and also the prep beforehand of yeah. being able to get in there months beforehand yep. and learn stuff. I yeah. mean, it, it was, it was awesome. I mean, yeah, you essentially I mean, did the recce and then, you know, you applied that. And the other thing I thought was really <laughs> awesome is uh, how you use terrain to your advantage. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that says a lot. I mean, some people, they just, you know, they, uh, a lot of guys, they don't, uh, like, you know, you, you threw Major Higgins under the bus, rightfully so. You know, he thought uh, you couldn't use that terrain. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't reading terrain. You had gone and used that technology at the time. Uh, I mean, that just, that says a lot. You know, using everything at your, your, uh, uh, at your disposal to make, you know, awesome decision. Use that terrain. Uh, and, you know, I think... Yeah, uh, I think one of the probably the best parts of my career getting ready for special forces was I was in the Ranger Battalion first, yeah. and then after that I, with the brand new LERP units, the LERSU units in Germany. Yeah, you were and so uh, learned, th- you were third Ranger Battalion. Yeah, I was third Ranger. I was yeah. one of the guys that started third Ranger Battalion. Yeah. And but when I was in the LERSU unit, F Company Fifty First LERS, uh, learned 
incredible details on how to do communication with radios. That was your bread and butter. You had to be able to talk. But also the mountains and the, the foothills of Germany, you know, some teams, when they insert it, they would say, we're going to go from point A to point B, and they drew a straight line. And those rucksacks and the lerps was, I mean, you're talking like 90, 100 pounds because yeah. you're carrying everything. for. You had to live for 11 days out of your pack. It's like, holy shit. And so they would do that. And I, I always looked at the terrain and the map, and instead of going over this mountain and up that mountain and over this mountain and up that mountain, no, I just picked one contour line and stayed on that contour line. And they're like, oh, you're going to be walking so much farther. Yeah, I am walking farther, but I'm not going up and down. I'm literally going on in a weird way. It's a straight line, but it's just curving around the mountain instead of going up and over the mountain. So look at the map. Look at the terrain and use it so you don't kick your own ass so you're not combat effective when you're done. Yeah, exactly. Hey, the other thing that really stood out, uh, Pat, is, uh, I mean, just the fact that you, you don't really want to quit your job. You want to quit your boss. I mean, that's, yeah. uh, that's certainly true. You had you had some people you worked for, uh, you know, I mean, we've already thrown them under the bus. Yeah, so, we've all, well, we've all been uh, there. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, even in the civilian world, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, yeah. you're going to run into some people like that. But you have to, uh, I mean, some of your guys... Uh, you know, they saw the, I guess they saw the writing on the wall, uh, rightfully so. Others, I mean, you, you know, you had to, you had to gut it out. I mean, it just yeah. says so much to not be that guy. Don't be, don't be the doucher leader. <laughs> you know I mean? Don't be the yeah. toxic leader. Oh, yeah. Well, th- this was a time period where we had really good team sergeants on most of the team, not all teams, but most yeah. of the teams had really good team sergeants and uh, uh, most of the team sergeants true. were real experienced. That's I mean, right. we, we had guys from Vietnam. Yes. That. Uh, that, so yeah. it's, it's going, so they had a lot of really good experience. I was that amazed was. at how many Vietnam vets we still had rolling around in SF in, uh, in the 1990s. Cause got to figure that's, uh, it's a, uh, you know, 70, it's like 15, 20 years later. And, uh, it was just amazing how well, many teams, guys were still around. Yeah. Teams were like really different. I was, uh, I mean, I was on, Three two three, which used to be five eight three, um, you know, third of the fifth became first of the third. Um, right there it was nineteen ninety one, nineteen ninety. Um, but most of the people on the teams back then were on the teams for years. I mean, they never, oh, yeah, they yeah. never left the team. Yeah, um, yeah, you would. And you're right; those teams. Decade. I mean, and that and SF was uh, team sergeant centric. It was yeah. NCO centric. Um, it, that's, it, it that's just, why when we had it had just recently branched. Yeah, it, yeah, it had just recently branched, so there wasn't um, a lot of officers in high-ranking positions that had had started in SF. I mean, that, that just wasn't the case. You know, guys would just kind of rotate in and out. Um, so it was definitely an NCO-centric organization. Yeah, yeah that, that's why when that 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 toxic officer came in. It just screwed up the whole thing because he he didn't trust these highly experienced NCOs, and, and he, he may, just and wouldn't he may, trust anybody. And he may not have been used to that. Well, I'm probably not where he yeah, came from, right? Yeah. Now, now the, the I'll tell you another story about uh, probably one of the legendary guys. It's amazing. His name was Gag, Michael Gaglioni. Chief Gaglioni, uh, but he was on the Halo team. Now, the Gag was in Vietnam, and he jumped in Vietnam. He was with uh, that unit that did parachute drop. 
not special forces. And he was a combat photographer. <laughs> and so he, he jumped into Vietnam. He was fought in Vietnam. He ended up with us. He was one of the oldest. Yeah, I figure he's a really old E7. And, uh, and so he's this guy in Vietnam, E7. And then about, I want to say, uh, right at the end of Desert Storm, he transfers, becomes a warrant officer, and then he comes back to fifth group, back to the team. He's on the Halo team as a warrant officer. So, in other words, he stayed on the same team the entire time. But he, he had this incredible freaking career. I mean, we, we went from uh, you know, a sergeant to a warrant officer. And he was in Vietnam. He was in Somalia. He was in Desert Storm. I mean, he was in uh, uh, the late next was Bosnia. He was in all that stuff, you know? Yeah, it's totally different, totally different SF back then. Well, now he rides motorcycle bikes in Montana and, and gets a new wife about every other year. Well, that can get expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't recommend that. No, no. He said all he does is ride around on his bike, and he has, you know, thin little wasted big boobed girls on the back. That's his. That's his. <laughs> that's his retirement. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you were talking about your time in the box, and I was thinking um, that seems rather easy. Uh, put a couple guys up on some high ground overlooking the desert and call in everything you see. Yeah. But it is way more complicated than that. Yeah. Uh, And you kind of, you you kind of touched on, on, yeah. I mean, there is, I mean, it looks easy. I mean, you can look up the Mount Tiford and go, yeah, man, just put some guys up there and nobody's going to try to identify individual people. What you're looking at, you're looking at the target that was, you know, like maybe 15 kilometers away. So nerds, you're trying to identify vehicles and stuff with half-ass optics way down in the valley floor. Like I said, it literally was like looking at toys. Yeah, I mean, you can see and everything so, from up there, but the distance is incredible. It's, it's, it's insane. Well, it's, it's not, you see, you'd see a vehicle, but trying to figure out what is that vehicle, and especially at night. Yeah, you so know, it's what, useful. What the hell is this thing? Yeah. Because yeah, the intel's got to be useful. I mean, you got to have more than just, you know, I see a dust cloud down there. Yeah. And we even experimented with the brand new thermals, but the thermals were so freaking heavy. That, and also the battery on the thermal only the one battery lasted thirty seconds, and or, or it was not what a battery. It was like this this cartridge to cool it down, and so it only lasted thirty seconds. So you could, if you used it, you had to carry a shitload of these batteries and cartridges, and it was just too much weight. We left it behind. Well, I'm just wondering, like, okay, so you got you got a ferret uh, for those that. Uh, yeah you know, familiar with uh, the last time you were on. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, Little Alice. Um, what do you think about the ferret out there in that type of terrain? It, the ferret in the low ground would be great. It it would, it would live for it. Because remember, NDC is made for armor warfare. Now, going into the mountains? No, of course not. It's just like our home bees, the terrain's too rough. So I'm just wondering, like, some of those, like, small little switchback mountain little roads they have up there. Well, know, yeah, it, it, the, you may be able to ferret, negotiate some of that. Well, the big curse with the American military is we always want to do everything to the biggest. Like we got the biggest goddamn tank of the world. Nothing could kill an Abrams except another Abrams. However, you can't because take of it that, everywhere. You, yeah, you can't take it everywhere. We, we used to have heavy tanks and light tanks, heavy machine guns and light machine guns. We used to have a heavy and lights. And the lights were so you could get to little places. 
So when you got to Afghanistan, you couldn't use your tanks because it wouldn't work. And so if you had a smaller tank or or like the ferret, it would work. So even the even the Bradley, the Bradley is, you know, it's small, but there's also a lot of shit it can't do, you know? Yeah, I mean, actually, Bradley, I the, Bradley's probably what, two or three times the size of that ferret. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You you could probably fit the ferret inside the Bradley. That's how small it is. I mean, it's kind of cool. Well, yeah, I mean, they, just when you think about those smaller type of European armored vehicles, I mean, there's a lot of app applicability. We with used those to things. have the little vehicles, uh, but we we kind of quit doing little vehicles after maybe about Korean War. So by the time you get in the Vietnam War frame, we start looking at you know heavier armor, heavier armor, till you get to the point where we are now with one yeah. really big you know personnel carrier and one really big tank. Yeah, then we went through our dune buggy craze, you know. Yeah, that was worthless. Yeah, that was that was crazy, man. Putting big guns yeah, the, on a the, dune the buggy. Seal, the seals had the dune buggy. We had the dumb bees. Yeah. And when we were working in uh, the Emirates, UAE, uh, Abu Dhabi, we worked together with the seals. And holy shit, man! Every freaking hour, it's like, hey, could you come over and pull us out of the sand dune or stuff? Mm-hmm. Because they they had no weight, and because of that, they kept getting stuck. Hey, uh, Pat, it's, I mean, we can, I think we could go on all day. You, you have stories like for days. Oh, uh, no shit. Yeah. Man. Yeah. 20 years worth of stories. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to bring you on again. I mean, but, uh, that, um, having regaled us with that, uh, tale on NTC, I mean, a lot of good gems there, guys. So, uh, yeah, listen to this a few times. I think you can get a lot more out of it. Uh, Pat, always a pleasure. Uh, look forward to having uh, that book come out, Strength and Honor, where this story is going to feature, uh, I believe, in the beginning of the book. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, hey, guys out there, um, appreciate your, uh, your, your listening, and, uh, hey, we'll just talk to you next time. Thanks, Pat. All right, no problem. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pinelander Podcast. Uh, if you enjoy our content and unique perspective, we hope you'll check out our sponsors. Blacksmith Publishing has been serving the warrior class since 2013. We have a great uh, bunch of titles available in the bookstore at blacksmithpublishing.com. And if you're looking for a great novel to enjoy while relaxing on the veranda, sipping a nice cold glass of mint julep, consider the wild fields. And uh, perhaps you're looking for some cool Pinelander merchandise, head over to the general store located at Pinelander1776.com. Got a great selection of shirts, hats, jackets, and sweaters. Till next time, remember to keep your head on the swivel and stay smart, strong, and socially astute.